welcome back, and thank you for once more listening to the Box Jumper Podcast. I'm your host, John Sainamon. I'm a CrossFit trainer and weightlifting coach in the rapidly descending into winter Bedford, Nova Scotia, Canada. Today, we're going to talk about sleep. Now, I'll be honest, for years, I was guilty of sacrificing sleep to prioritize other things. Um, I'm self-employed and dedicated to my business, and when you're self-employed, you feel like you're on a knife's edge. Uh, and if you let something slip, it can cost you in ways that people that aren't self-employed may not easily appreciate. So in order to get things done, you make sacrifices elsewhere and you try to balance those sacrifices with the needs of others in your life, your partner, your kids, friends, other family, etc. So sleep was something that I felt I could do without to a degree. It was something that I saw as the antithesis of getting things done. And that was simply wrong. Sleep is emerging as the unsung hero of performance and recovery, both in sport and in everyday life. We've heard it from elite athletes consistently in recent years, uh, but sleep and its relationship to performance and recovery is not the exclusive domain of the Toomeys and Frasers of the world. Every athlete at every level can benefit from improving their sleep. And like nutrition, it's not necessarily about quantity alone. Quality is a major factor. That's why for today's podcast, I'm joined by an expert in sleep, Shona Halston is a PhD researcher and associate professor at Australian Catholic University in Brisbane, Australia. She is also a member of the Scientific Advisory Board for a company called Sleep Score Labs. I'll give you a rundown on who they are and how I got connected with Shona at the end of this episode. Shona studies sleep among elite-level athletes, and this emerging field is already yielding some pretty fascinating data, data that these athletes then use in turn to improve their training, their performance, and their recovery. So here we go. In 10 seconds, I'll speak with Shona Halston about how we can achieve gains in performance and recovery by prioritizing quality sleep like the pros. Shona, welcome to the podcast. All right. Thank you, Jane. Uh, I am uh, very interested in understanding more about sleep. Um, sleep as it pertains to athletic performance is certainly an important thing that um, it's become more and more important in my life anyway, uh, in part because um, in my case, my schedule is kind of hectic. I work a full-time job, but I'm also a CrossFit coach and mm-hmm. I work out early in the mornings. And so... Um, my sleep certainly affects my performance and I've, I've felt that. So, um, I, I felt it was really important to try to get an expert, um, in the area of sleep to come onto the podcast and talk from a, um, a more scientific perspective of how sleep actually affects athletic mm-hmm. performance, athletic recovery. So before we get into the, the details of the discussion, um, why don't you give me a rundown of what your background is and what your experience with sleep is as it pertains to athletics. Yeah, great. So um, my current role is as an associate professor at Australian Catholic University. So I have a a research only position there. Uh, So what I do is uh, research with athletes and particularly around recovery in general. Um, But our main Mm -hmm. focus is sleep with athletes. Um, So doing doing research as well as consultancy um, with elite teams um, and and athletes on how they can um, improve their sleep. So before I was... um, 
uh, before I started Australian Catholic University, I was with the Australian Institute of Sport for 15 years. I had a similar role, um, research as well as servicing and working with the elite athletes there. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was the head of recovery for the um, Australian Olympic team for the last three games. So um, taking the aims really been to take the research that we do in a which is really applied research, but to to um, work in an in an applied practical manner with athletes. Um, so we use the knowledge that we've gained from the research to um, to implement strategies um, with athletes and try to help them recover better. And of course, sleep is uh, the best recovery right. strategy that we have. So we've had a pretty large focus on sleep over the last few years. And so do you wind up working with athletes in a variety of different disciplines? Yeah, so when um, I was at the Institute of Sport, I worked mainly with Olympic athletes um, across mm-hmm. various sports. Probably swimming, cycling were the, I guess, the predominant two, and they were the ones that um, um, that of that Australia tended to uh, tended to do better at um, at Summer mm-hmm. Olympics. Uh, of course, we're more Summer Olympic people rather than uh, Winter Olympics. Um, and now, um, a lot of my consultancy is with professional teams. So I've done some work with some some US um, professional professional teams, male and female, um, as well as um, UK and Australia, um, particularly uh, particularly rugby and AFL in Australia. Wow. So in, in the research that you've done, have you had any, any direct exposure to the CrossFit market or the functional fitness side of things? Um, probably not. Um, not directly. I um, do a lot of work and have had a lot of um, research experience um, with athletes who do a significant amount of weight training. Um, so pretty much every 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 obviously every sport that we work with pretty much has a has a fairly large sort of strength and conditioning component to it. And a lot of our research also looks at the influence of you know how sleep responds and what changes um, we see in sleep in response to to resistance training versus other forms of training. So not CrossFit directly. Um, but certainly um, experience and worked with a lot of athletes where weight training is a really big part of their of their program. Right. Yeah, I would have to imagine that at the elite level, uh, CrossFit style training um, would be fairly common, I would think, um, as a method of cross training um, and non, non-sport specific training. Yeah, so I think there's, you know, there's always, sports are always looking at ways of doing things with more efficiency and, and more intensity and getting more out of their training. So, um, yeah, and, and a lot of a lot of sports, yeah, especially in you know, sports like rugby where there's a high power explosive component, um, you right. know, we, we know that it's, you know, the, the way that they train is getting more and more specific to, to their sport. Now, a lot of uh, a lot of people um, in the general population are they're starting to wake up to um, the importance of sleep, um, but it's it's still fairly new as a concept. I think the the explosion of wearables and health data being available to the general consumer um, has started to make it a little bit more well known that um, you can actually measure sleep and determine what kind of quality of sleep that you're getting mm-hmm. at a basic level. What are what are the um, what are the basic stages of sleep that a person needs to concern themselves with uh, in order to really feel day to day that they're actually ready to perform, whether it's at their uh, regular job or um, as a parent or as a coach, whatever the case may be during their day, how do they how do they make sure that they're getting decent sleep from the outset, regardless of what their level of physical activity happens to be? 
Yeah, and you're exactly right. It doesn't, you know, we know that um, people who do more physical activity probably need need more rest and recovery and, and rest and repair. Um, but for mm-hmm. anyone, um, sleep is one of the most important things that you can do for yourself. Um, you know, we, we're starting to really see now across a whole lot of different areas how important sleep is for things like your metabolism, for mood, mental health, um, cardiovascular health, diabetes. The list just keeps going and going and going. So we're whether you're an athlete or not, um, starting to, as you say, wake up to sleep is is really important. And it's not the thing that you do at the end of the day when all the other things you've done are more that you think are more important have occurred. Right. Um, so what we do is we get busier, 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 and things creep in, and Netflix creeps in, and social media creeps in, and then mm. all of a sudden we're getting shorter and shorter sleep. So um, we we really understand now for a range of people how how important sleep is, and there's essentially you know we think of um, as sleep in stages. There's um, REM sleep or rapid eye movement sleep and non. Um, rapid eye movement sleep Um, and that's essentially the easiest way to think of it and there are different things that happen in different phases of sleep so um, in the non-REM sleep we tend to think of that more as around physically restoring the body Um, whereas REM Mm -hmm. sleep we think this is very generalized um, but is more around uh, recovery for the brain Um, so if you're someone who um, is involved and and obviously if you think of something like CrossFit where um, you need a lot of you're doing some physical, a lot of physical work, high intensity work, and you want to mm-hmm. you want to recover. We know that that the slow wave sleep or the deep sleep um, is is quite important for that in terms of release of hormones and 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 repair. But also, if you're someone that also has to go out and has a day job, which most of us do, um, right. and and you want to have you want to be able to think clearly, you want to let you have clarity of thought, you want to make some good decisions, you want to have good impulse control. Um, we know that REM sleep is also really important for the brain, and so it's not it's and there's you know there's a reason why we go through these stages, and it's because they're all important in different ways um, so it's not like we can we can just say you know deep sleeps most Im- is, is the important thing for athletes um, and REM sleep is is not so much it's it's both and we need to cycle through those stages of sleep throughout the night to to make sure we're maximizing our, our, our overall quality of sleep right and the amount of sleep that a person requires changes over their over their lifetime uh, doesn't it I mean there's there's uh, different general age groups that are that require a certain amount of sleep in in general blocks yeah so there is it and if you look at the lifespan it's if you look at babies i mean for example you you know we know that they're growing and developing and learning and you know they need an extremely um, large amount of sleep you know you see they sleep they sleep more than they're awake um and then the elderly as well they tend to get less um deep sleep there tends to be a a decrease in the in the um deeper phases of sleep um but when Mm -hmm. you look at sort of the ages of people that we're mainly um dealing with in 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 our um in the sports that we are involved with um you see there's kind of two kind of groups there's the adolescents and then there's um and and then there's essentially adults and if if you look at adolescents, they do need a, a reasonable, reasonably high amount of sleep, probably more than the adults, we think. Um, but the adolescents are interesting in that their body clock is pushed back a little bit. So they tend to be more of your night owl type um, individuals where they want to go to bed late and wake up um, late. So we sort of see these, you know, these My teenagers. My certainly a good indicator of that. 
<laughs> yeah, and we think, you know, we're all like, oh, they're so lazy. They don't want to get up and they, they're up all night, staying up all night on their phones. Um, and look, they may be because they're not sleepy typically till later on. So they do need more sleep, but their sleep, um, the timing of when they sleep shifts back a little bit. So right. um, you're exactly right. Sleep requirements, sleep needs does do, does change throughout the throughout the lifespan, um, but for the age that we're dealing with, is um, you know most people believe somewhere between seven and nine hours is 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 pretty good. Right. Hmm. It's interesting. Like I I I think about you know any time that I have a really um, intensive uh, workout, depending on when in the day I've had it. Um, you know, I, I can definitely tell that it has an impact on uh, how easily I fall asleep and um, how how much that sleep winds up um, being needed in order for me to recover and feel like myself the mm -hmm. next day. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you know, when you bring up the amount of sleep that a baby needs, and because of the level of development that they're doing, yep. I, that just immediately makes me think, well, yeah, okay, so it's kind of similar. If I mean, not to equate myself to a baby, but if, if you know the 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 physical recovery um, that is brought on by the exertion, um, uh, especially after an intense workout, has got to have at least some something in common with that, uh, because uh, I do find that if I have an, a really intense workout, then if I have the ability to sleep later, I'd be inclined to do so. I'm not a person that mm -hmm. sleeps in late naturally mm -hmm. myself anyway. Yes, but after an intense workout. I, I'd probably be more inclined to sleep later than if I haven't. Yes. Is that where some of that comes from? Is the body just automatically looking for that additional recovery time? Yeah, that's what we that's what we think. Um, so, you know, I'm a, I always bring recovery back to its simplest forms, and I and I think of um, of homeostasis and bringing the body back to balance. And so, the more you disturb the body's balance by by doing exercise, the more you actually have to bring it back and repair it mm -hmm. to get it back to baseline. And so, um, if you are going through, um, and especially you know something like CrossFit where there may be some levels of muscle damage um, and soreness. Um, you know, you really that's where the body really needs to sort of to, to come into its own and 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 repair the muscle so that you know the plan is that you back to homeostasis so that you can go out and do it again. So um while we do think that, you know, there's not a lot of science out there yet, but you know, we do think that athletes potentially might require more sleep than than the general population for that reason, for that additional um additional repair requirement. It seems like the flip side of at least the component of um, the the fitness world that we already uh, recognize the the need for a rest day in order mm. for our body to recuperate. And you know, most of us are thinking about rest day in terms of what we do during our waking hours. We're not necessarily mm. equating that to uh, the quality of the sleep that that we're getting, uh, including on those days that we work out. But mm -hmm. on days that we're not working out sleep is an important component of that recovery. And, and so that's a vital part of your rest day as well, that I don't think we're necessarily all taking terribly seriously. I know I haven't always been terribly respectful of that. And on a rest day, I might stay up later because I know I'm not, I haven't exerted mm -hmm. myself or whatever the case may be. Um, and, and so I, I have to make sure that I make that a priority um, to get good quality sleep on those rest days is important as well. Yeah, and I think you've you've definitely touched on something that we see 
in a similar way in um, in lead athletes. So we've done some work with swimmers and, of course, they get up really early all the time um, except mm. for maybe two days a week where they have mornings off. And so what happens is right. they sleep in those mornings. Um, they tend to go to bed late and sleep in because they think, well, I don't have training and in the morning so I don't have to quite go to bed as early. I can actually have a bit of a life. Um, I'm not waking up at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> right. Um, and so one of the things that – so it's not – only just important to, to prioritise and say, I'm actually going to get some sleep today. I mightn't have trained, but I, you know, I'm actually going to get some sleep. But one of the most important things about getting good sleep and why we think some of these sports that have really early morning starts are problematic is because consistency is and a real routine is one of the most important things that you can do. So going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time as often as possible. So mm. if you're going to bed, you so you say you've got a day off or you had a rest day and you stay up late at night and then you maybe sleep in the next day or even you just cut your sleep short, um, you're getting out of out of pattern, out of routine, and it's like doing shift work. Um, so not right. as extreme as, as, as shift work if you're only changing a couple of hours, obviously, but if you're doing this mm -hmm. all the time and you've got two or three hours difference all the time every second or third day when you're, you know, every when you might be having a morning off or half day or a full day off, then your routine just becomes um, um, disturbed. So the idea is that you, we, you know, we want to keep bedtimes and wake times as, as consistent as possible. And we all know we need rest days, um, but it's uh, about managing the outside things around that, like your sleep. Right. So when, when you're um, in analyzing uh, sleep among athletes, what are the mechanisms that you're using in order to track um, the, the quality and quantity and, and uh, timeframes for their sleep? Are you using uh, just feedback from the athlete or are you going out and getting actively getting data from them as well? Yeah, so we use um, a combination of things. So for some athletes, well, a lot of professional athletes will be required to um, do some subjective daily monitoring. So, you know, on a on some kind of app where they just record what they're doing um, and there'll often be questions around sleep in that. Um, but what we tend to do, so when I might, would come in and, and consult to teams, I would come in and I would use um, some activity monitoring. So um, like a sleep tracker, I, we tend to use um, uh, a, a device uh, made by Philips Respironics. It's a it's a valid. Um, it's like a sleep watch. Um, so it's almost like the it's like the Fitbit type approach. Um, but we've right. we've done the work to validate these against uh, against the gold standard. So I'd come in, monitor um, the athletes for usually two weeks. We like two weeks kind of gives you a bit of a good. Um, indication of what's going on it, and it of course gets weekends in which is where sometimes the wheels fall off um, right. so we a sleep diary and a sleep watch for two weeks and then I would um, do the analysis run the analysis on that give them a report sit down with them and each individual athlete and say this is what was good um, and here's where you can potentially um, improve so it's a little bit of a combination of subjective work I was also involved with the development of a, a question around athlete behaviours um, and because sometimes what we see with athletes is it's not that they don't have medical sleep disorders well some do but we don't see a huge amount what we typically tend to see is just them doing you know 
inappropriate behaviours like caffeine at the wrong time or staying up late or the bedroom's mm-hmm. not cool, dark and quiet. Or So getting an idea of just around their behaviours through a, through a questionnaire can also um, be give you some good information of where to start and, and where to talk um, to talk to them about. But one thing we are really cautious of is not giving them too much too much information about sleep because we don't want them to get you know overly stressed about it and you know one of the things we know is no one sleeps perfectly every night of the year we don't want to set people up to think oh my goodness I had one bad night this is the end of the world Um, and so we sort of treat it like training you know you might have you know a couple of bad training sessions it doesn't make you a bad athlete you might have a couple of great training sessions it's not going to make you the best athlete in the world. It's your habits and your patterns and the things that you do the majority of the time. And so we right. don't want to set up this this situation where they're so anxious and stressed about the numbers that they see every night that it just becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy where they start to sleep bad because they're paying too much attention to their sleep. So I think there's this really happy balance between, look, we want you to do as good as you can, as often as you can, but let's not lose your mind if you have a few bad nights here and there because it happens to everyone and it's not going to affect you long term. Right. What are what are some of the uh, what are some of the data points that are captured by a wearable like the the Philips uh, watch or strap? Yeah, so the things that we care most about is we get total sleep time. So we obviously see bedtime and wake time. Now, for mm-hmm. some, you know, it sounds very obvious, but um, when you're wearing a watch, you can't um, tell little fibs. Um, and so sometimes, you know, um, athletes will say, yeah, I went to bed at 10 and woke up at 7. And you're like, no, you didn't. Um, so when you wear a watch, you get the proof. Um, so right. bedtime and wake time, how long it takes you to fall asleep. Um, mm-hmm. now, and that's important because sometimes people after either they've competed late at night or they've had caffeine or they're stressed or they've, um, they've done their exercise close to bedtime say that it can take them a bit longer to fall asleep. So that's an important mm-hmm. metric. Um, and it also gives us an indication of quality of sleep. So it's not the gold standard, um, but based on movement, um, it'll give us an indication of their sleep efficiency or their quality. So the percentage of time um, that they're in bed that they're asleep. So we tend to use duration, quality, and time taken to fall asleep as our three kind of important metrics. Now, okay, so, uh, and some of those are going to be, you know, determined by uh, an algorithm that's going to, Mm -hmm. based on their level of movement, uh, extrapolate whether or not it feels like they're actually asleep versus not. Cause some people move around a little bit more when they sleep than others. Yes. Um, and, but it, all, all things being equal, what are some of the other metrics that if they were available in a device, what are some of the mm-hmm. other measures of quality of sleep that in a perfect world you'd love to have at your disposal to analyze someone's sleep? Yeah. So, you know, the gold standard of sleep. So if we were concerned that somebody might have had, might have a medical sleep disorder, or we want to do some pretty serious research with an intervention and look at pre and post intervention, we'd send them to a sleep laboratory. Um, and essentially they'd have um, 
polysomnography. So they'd have their sleep measured. And, and the, the one of the main things that you get in that lab um, is measurement of um, sleep stages. So the REM and the non-REM and how much time you're in deep sleep and those kinds of so things. So they're actually so, recording brain activity under those circumstances. Yes. yes. So right. they have electrodes um, on the on the scalp and that measures brain activity. So brain, they measure brain activity, breathing rate, heart rate, um, sometimes temperature, um, EMG for muscle move for, for, for muscle activity. Um, to, so to see if you know the legs are twitching or the arms are moving or or whatever. Right. So that it really gives you a whole picture. But of course, you know that it's not the sort of thing that you can do routinely. Um, it's a foreign environment usually, and you need a lot of expertise, and it costs you some money to do these things. Um, but having brain activity measures um, and look, there's there's a lot of companies and and um, different um, devices out there now that are that are moving towards that direction to to really give you the complete sort of sleep picture. Yeah, the sophistication of some of the um, the wearables on the market now that have gradually introduced sleep tracking to their various different levels of activity tracking. I mean, a lot of them were focused on what you did while you were awake, but increasingly Fitbit and Apple Watch and Whoopstrap and, and some others on the marketplace mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. have uh, introduced a lot in the way of sleep tracking. Now, they would – I have to assume that they would all be measuring or looking for um, – similar bits of data based on movement. Um, are there are there other bits of data that they have the ability to uh, absorb, whether it's uh, sound and light levels and some of those other sleep variables that are in the environment as opposed to something specifically coming from the individual? Yeah, so um, WHOOP can um, that measures heart rate and heart rate variability um, mm-hmm. as, as part of their as part of their device. Um, the Aura Ring also has um, some capacity to 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 do that as well. Um, so these devices are now trying to integrate sort of heart rate um, and and measures of of heart rate or heart rate variability or both into some of their um, some of their devices to kind of get you um, to give you um, a, a better picture and. And then, um, of course, there's, um, like, for example, Sleep Score, who are looking at trying to use something that's not attached to the body to try and and, and to measure some of these um, different physiological responses um, from from a distance. Um, and right, that's yeah, really... they have a device that sits on your nightstand yes, and yes. measures some of those factors. Yeah, and and I, and that is again a direction where I think it is important to head because some people do do not like to wear a wearable. Um, and mm, and you know you, you talk to um, I talk to some athletes and they're like, oh, the first few nights where I wore the watch, I had to, you know, it took me a bit to, you know, I was paying attention to it. I don't normally wear a watch; it just felt weird. Um, then they they tend to get used to it, but some people just don't like to wear a wearable. So. Um, mm. It's it's you know it, soon there'll be you know this combination of, of different aspects of sleep that that I think um and everyone's now starting to learn more and more and and are starting to understand about not just sleep but how people like to measure their sleep and that you know for some devices you know I you know I wouldn't want the athlete to have a readiness score every day for some athletes you know so some of these devices now say this is how you how recovered you are now the problem is we don't know how they calculate these these metrics um and i understand why they don't want to share them because that's how they that's their commercial advantage right but it makes it very difficult as someone who works with athletes to say this is a device you should use because we don't know the algorithm we don't know how they're making some of these calculations and then um 
we have to go and do the research and take the time and energy to go and validate the products because often they're not validated beforehand. So we're kind of doing their job for them, but we have to validate, we have to compare to the gold standard. Otherwise, you know, especially for research purposes, you know, we see a new device, we go, oh, this is fantastic. It's so simple and easy to use, but we don't know if mm-hmm. it's actually accurate. Um, True. Which is, um, you know, and for some people, look, the general population, they may not be that interested if it is really 100% measuring their sleep perfectly. Um, They're just looking Mm -hmm. for big changes over time and it's an education tool and it's something that is is a little bit of extra information that they can use to hopefully prompt them to, to get a little bit more sleep. And that's fantastic. But for some people, it's adding to this, okay, oh, I, I, I looked at my device and it told me I only had three hours of deep sleep. And, and then they get stressed and then they think oh, I can't perform well in my training session. And it's like, well, one, we don't even know if that's measuring your – that device is measuring accurately or not. Right. Um, and, again, one bad night's sleep, not the end of the world. Right. What are some of the other uh, factors um, that a person can – actively control um, that would um, help ensure that they get good quality sleep? Yeah, so I think there's just some really simple behavioral um, and environmental things that you can do. I mean, but like firstly- you spoke about the routine for sure. Yes, routine is definitely one. Um, staying away from too much blue light from from phones um, and, and computers. So we know that they mm-hmm. emit blue light, which um, stimulates the body clock and can um, interfere with um, melatonin release. Um, being careful with your caffeine- um, um, making sure your room is cool, dark, and quiet. Uh, so you know we we know that generally cooler temperatures are slightly better for getting for getting sleep. And these things are all little simple things that you can just integrate into your life. So it's just it's just the way that you operate. It's just the habits that you have. It's you don't want to get into this position where, oh, okay, I'm having um, this essential oil and I'm doing this at this time and I'm doing this at this time and may and and it becomes almost like such mm. a massive process that you have to do to get to sleep. Because people who sleep the best are the ones that don't really have to do anything. <laughs> um, and and partly what we're dealing with for some people is this anxiety and stress around sleep, and we want to take some of that away. Just just do the best that you can. Here's here's some things that you want to avoid, like your caffeine, like your phones. Um, set up your room in the best way that you can, and then um, then just get on with it. What are what are some of the things that that you recommend someone do to um, help with that routine? Like the, the the examples that are immediately coming to my mind are like f- factors like stress. Um, yeah. and, and so how do you over, how do you overcome something that is an internal, uh, mm. variable that is much more difficult to control? Are there strategies that, that a, a person can use to overcome those to still try to get a good quality of sleep? Yeah. And that's a great question. And, and when I was um, mentioning about behavioral things with athletes, you know, the other one is, is stress. Um, and it can be work mm-hmm. stress, personal stress, life stress, sponsorship stress, 
social media stress, you right. name it. We've got all these different types of stresses now that can bombard us from all different areas. And so I think there's kind of two approaches. Um, I mean, the first thing I think is if somebody has a serious level of anxiety, um, then it needs to be, you know, you need to get professional help. Um, like you need to go and see a psychologist or therapist and get some get some help and get some strategies and learn to, to deal with with you know, if you've got serious, serious stress and anxiety in your life, if you're someone where it just sort of comes and goes a little bit, or, you know, sometimes you're just a bit of an overthinker, um, you know, you don't feel like it's really interfering with your life too much, then, you know, there's plenty of great um, apps and different things that you can do for meditation and relaxation and mindfulness. Um, right. Calm is an app that gets a lot of, that's quite popular with athletes, um, you know, teaching you to, to meditate and relax um, and the thing about um, things like that you do on a routine basis so for example you might um, clean your teeth have a shower clean your teeth listen to calm the, the app so that might be your three things and you might do that every single night at the same time of night and all of a sudden your body begins to understand, um, oh, this is what happens before I go to sleep. This is my routine and then the physiology actually starts to change and you your body knows what to expect. You know, sleep is such a conditioned response. So you can get into habits and routines like doing the same three things before you go to bed every night that can really help um, that onset of, of falling asleep. And then, you know, so the other thing that I that I do say to athletes is some of them are like, oh, look, I don't have a problem, you know, I don't have a problem with sleep. But you know that when they get stressed, when they're in an Olympic village or when they're in the night before a major final, that that you're going to be stressed. I mean, there's no question. Like if you're not stressed, there's something wrong, right? True. So um, if even if you don't feel like you need to do these things now, there's nothing wrong with practicing. Practicing here and there and in having something that you know works for you so that, okay, if in six months' time, I'm um, it's the night before the World Cup final, I've got something that I can go to that'll just help wind me down. Um, so there's that practice aspect as well. And, and you know, the general population can do that too. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly more likely to be successful if it's something that has been part of your routine long before you actually need it. Um, you know, there, I mean, we're, we're all leery of trying something new the night before a competition or the day of a competition, uh, regardless of what sport you happen to, to do. Um, and so, you know, you're not going to break something out new um, with regard to your overall routine and that, that applies to sleep as well. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Um, so, are there are there other are there aspects of sleep that an athlete would feel if you know I mean let let's for the moment let's assume that they don't have a any sleep data being delivered to them mm -hmm. um, how how might they identify a problem with sleep are mm. there are there symptoms that they would feel um, in the course of their day that would be identifiable and and uh, could be pinpointed to being related to sleep, or is it too difficult to create that direct cause and effect relationship with something that they experience in their workouts, for example? Yeah, uh, that's a great question, and that's what uh, that's an area that I try to get athletes to think about themselves because, like I say, I don't always want them 
not all athletes to be monitoring every single thing every single day right in terms of mm-hmm. their sleep so so the two questions that i that i get them to think about is how do you feel when you wake up in the morning and not immediately because most people don't bound out of bed super excited, um, you know, and ready to go. So about 30, mm-hmm. 30 minutes to an hour after you've woken up, how do you feel? And you, you, and you know when you're sleep deprived, when you haven't had a best night's sleep, that, that you still can be struggling up to an hour. You still feel a bit flat up to an hour after you've, um, after you've woken up. And then the second question is, how do you feel like you get through the day? Like, do you feel like you could um, sleep at the drop of – if you're on the bus at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, would you sleep? If you were on the massage table at 3 o'clock in the afternoon or, you know, mid-afternoon sometime, would you sleep? Like, how – or do you think you get through the day pretty good, knowing that most people have a bit of an afternoon dip? Um, but how do you feel like you get through the day? And what I get um, athletes to think about is, okay, what's normal for them? Because you, there will what's normal in terms of sleep for them. So, you know, some people are like, look, I know I'm a nine-hour person. When I get my nine hours, I'm good. When I get less than that, I'm not so good. Some people might be seven. Um, and mm-hmm. some people, it, you know, the range can be really high. You know, so this idea of everyone needs eight hours, um, you know, we, we don't all need that. There, there's right. there's ranges. So to get people to think, okay, I know I'm pretty good when I've had this amount. I'm not so good when I have that amount. I'm going to try on average as often as I can to get a certain amount by paying attention to how I feel when I wake up in the morning and how I get through the day. Right. Are there, uh, when, when a person, um, you know, does identify as being run down from uh, a lack of sleep the night before, um, sh- should they, sh- is there a natural remedy to that, that, that you think is appropriate for, for someone to consider? Uh, you know, I, I'm immediately thinking of some of the remedies that probably aren't the, the right way to go, you know, whether it's mm. drinking an entire pot of coffee to yourself or, <laughs> you know, the, the various okay. different things that someone will try to use to snap out of it. But is there, is there a, a proper way to try to combat that fatigue that is the result mm. of a poor sleep? Yeah, um, there isn't really because unfortunately the only way to get over sleep deprivation is to sleep. Now, caffeine will trick your, trick your brain for a little while. Um, doesn't, mm. it doesn't, last um, forever, of course. And then the other thing is is that it can, if you have caffeine too late in the day, then it can disturb your next night of sleep. Mm. Um, so the way that I approach it, so especially when people travel a lot as well, and you know, sometimes I fly and you fly to the States and then you've got a conference, you've got to get up at seven the next morning for a conference and you've just had no sleep and you're exhausted. What I say to myself, yes, I do have coffee. I, I'm a caffeine person, but I stick to caffeine in the morning to try and kind of get me through. What I say to myself is, this is not going to kill me, right? I'm going to get through the day. It might not be pleasant, but I'm going to get Mm -hmm. through the day. Um, And the body is really, really good at when you've had one bad night's sleep, typically it'll go into a deeper sleep the next night. So it's, it has a natural way of restoring um, your sleep after you've had as long as you don't do something silly to undermine it. Hundred percent. So that's where you don't want the the full pot of coffee to yourself too late in the right. day. Um, yeah. So I, I do go. 
look, like it's not, you know, it's not going to be the most pleasant feeling. I'll get through, you know, if I'm going to do a workout, it's like I'm still going to do my workout. I'm going to do it exactly the same way. Like I'm, I'm still going to do all the things I had in my – maybe it's not going to be as, as in high as intensity and maybe it's just going to feel a bit ordinary, but I'm going to get through it. Um, and so that's one of the things that we see with sleep deprivation in the science is that it doesn't tend to – uh, you, if you have a really, really bad night of very short sleep, what it does is it doesn't tend to um, change your VO2 max or your um, heart maximum heart rate or any of these things. But what it does is it makes things feel harder. So your RPE or your perception of effort goes mm. up. Um, so things just feel yuck. And I'm sure we, we all know that. Um, so it's kind of good to know that. And, you know, if you're, and I say this to the athletes, if you're just, a, if you've had a really ordinary night the night before an Olympic final, um, yes, you, you might, you'll probably have some caffeine in the morning, like a lot of them do. You'll, the adrenaline will kick in. Um, and again, it's not going to change your whole 20 years of training with one night of bad sleep. Um, you just tend to f- maybe not feel so great until the adrenaline or the all the caffeine kicks in. Now we've mentioned caffeine. Are there foods that um, are are uh, that do not do a good job of promoting sleep? Are there certain foods that we should avoid late in the day? Yeah, that's a, it's a really exciting new area of research, and I've been involved in a, a couple of projects where we've been looking at this. And I think um, caffeine is obviously the major one. The other things are. Some foods that can be eaten too close to bedtime. So it's not so much late afternoon, it's more immediately before bed. So you probably want to stay away from um, high glycemic index foods. So, really, you know, you're all simple sugars and, you know, you wouldn't be, not that. Not that CrossFitters, I expect, would be having a can of Coke before they go to bed. Um, I would hope not. (laughs) You don't want these real simple, like a bag of lollies. Like it's not what you want right before you go to bed. Unless they're sleepy bag of Skittles, you know, hopefully not. (laughs) Hopefully not, yeah. Um, But, you know, that sugar hit because you have the insulin rise and Mm -hmm. and that can make people feel quite alert and awake. Some people describe – problems with spicy foods um, and and anything Mm. that maybe you don't want your gut potentially too full. Um, And the other thing we we see a lot in in athletes is um, excessive hydration before bed. So then they just wake Mm. up and go to the bathroom. So we're really well educated about how important it is to rehydrate. Um, But if all you're drinking is water and um, you're drinking a fair amount of it in the time between dinner and bedtime, what will probably Mm. end up happening is you'll end up just going to the bathroom three or four times a night. Um, On on the converse, um, we think, so milk, milk is nature's nature's food, right? And um, Mm -hmm. it is one, if you look at the protein and the carbohydrates that are in milk, it's pretty much designed as a as a sleep drink. Um, mm. So milk is, is, a, is a good one. Um, certain proteins that have tryptophan in it, which is a, which converts through eventually into melatonin. Um, so things like um, turkey. turkey um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, people talk about the, the, um, the Christmas, the Christmas day or the, the, the Thanksgiving <laughs> um, yeah. after, after lunch dip. Um, so turkey can be, um, can be one of those as well. So foods with tryptophan in it can also help. For sure. So, uh, 
I, I've got a few questions that um, I, 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 I'm part of several different uh, CrossFit related uh, communities. Um, you know, I mean, I'm obviously very plugged into the CrossFit box at which I coach, um, but there are also um, uh, a couple of different communities. Uh, CrossFit Lynchpin is a, an online uh, programming system that I use and, and uh, I'm connected to that uh, program as well. And so I asked several questions of the community about uh, what they wanted to know about sleep. And there's a CrossFit master's program as well on, uh, on Facebook, um, that, uh, I posed the question. And so I got, a, I got quite a variety of different questions from, uh, people that were a little bit outside of, um, the questions that I naturally would have asked myself based on my own experience. And so, um, I wondered if I could just throw a couple of these questions at you, not to, not to dive too deep necessarily, but there's a few of them in here that, um, I think were posed more than once, uh, for example, and um, there's some interesting uh, questions that I think are not just specific to athletes necessarily, but just the personal experiences of members of these different communities. Um, one of them that came up a couple of times, and, and you and I spoke in our in our uh, pre-interview about the the notion that it, you know it's it's very difficult to speak in anything but generalities in some of these cases, um, but there are quite a number of people in the CrossFit communities of which I'm a part that work shift work. Um, and so they were looking for some basic advice on how to sleep better. And in particular, um, you know, a couple of them had, uh, completely different sleep schedules based on whether it was a day they were working versus not. Um, so for example, somebody that's working a 12 hour shift, they only, they only sleep five hours on that day, but on a night that they have off, they might sleep closer to eight to nine. Um, and then, you know, it, and so that, that variation in their schedule is disruptive. Is, is there any practical way for them to even that out or, or ensure that even when they're, uh, working a long 12 hour shift, they can still get, um, solid quality sleep? Yeah, shift work is um, one of the areas where there's a lot of research um, going on at the moment. And um, oh, I, do, I do some work with um, a laboratory in, in down in Adelaide here in Australia where they do some amazing work in shift work. And it's still they're still answering some really, really fundamental questions that we you would think are just no-brainers, but we still don't have the answer for. Um, but mm -hmm. I think as a couple of general rules, obviously you want to stick to routine as much as possible. As, and I know like some people, if you're always working a certain shift, then, you know, work, um, having a routine is, is much easier. Um, but using some of these um, tricks to help you fall asleep in terms of your pre-sleep routine um, can be really important. Watch, you know, a lot of um, shift workers may engage in some, you know, caffeine use or energy drink use to get through the day um, and you can, or night, whatever it may be. Um, and mm -hmm. so being, again, just cautious about not having too much of that um, towards the end of end of the shift. Um, but when you, when I talk to to true experts in shift work, they say there's almost like two types of shift workers. There's ones that they may have um, a series of night shifts, and they people get more used to it as they go as they get more nights. And then there's mm -hmm. others who just get worse and worse and worse. 
Um, and right. um, and so it's almost like there's it's quite common to hear people say they're one or the other. They get better and better and better, or they get they just feel worse and worse and worse as the more nights nights go on. Um, and then some people report they they like to um, stay up a little bit late. Like when they get home, they like to not go to bed immediately, and then they'll have one long sleep. And then there's others that will have maybe two sleeps. Um, in their in their day off, so it's really around. Um, it seems to be really highly individual, um, working out what strategies work, and it does depend on how many shifts you have in a row and what time. Um, but I think trying not to mess up um, the the things that we know work, like um, mm-hmm. the pre bed routine, and being careful with your caffeine, um, having a cool, dark, and quiet room. Like I can only imagine how hard it would be to sleep during the day in a lot of houses where the rest of the world is going on. So you know, block out curtains, earplugs, eye masks, um, air conditioning for hot during if it's hot during the day. Um, mm-hmm. So just ma- making um, your room environment um, a- as good as it can. But shift work is general is 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 generally accepted to be tricky. Yeah. And it's got to be, um, you know, I mean, there's, there's some moving parts there too, because, um, you know, one of these, one of the examples that I was given from the community was someone that consistently works a 12 hour shift overnight. Whereas I know my daughter as a nurse, she actually alternates It's four days on four days off, but on the flip side, it goes days, then four days off nights, then four days off days, then four. So it alternates time of day in addition to the days on days off. So it it becomes, it's an, it's the enemy of routine for sure. Even though it does impose uh, a repeating schedule, you're never in that schedule long enough to really establish something that fits with your biological rhythms either. Yes. Yeah. And that's where, um, and, and, and it's, we can come in and make all these recommendations and suggestions about, um, about shift work. But the fact of the matter is the world's going to fall apart if we don't have shift workers. Um, we need them. Um, the world turns with people that work mm. odd hours. And so we, it's almost like we need to take better care of these, these people. Yes, we can recommend, um, potentially better, slightly better shifts. And most of them will get into an idea of what works for them um, for their sleep. Um, but a lot of shift workers do have problems with um, diabetes and obesity and some of these issues as a consequence of working shift workers. So we need to almost monitor and manage them better and make sure they've got access to things on their days off, make sure they're exercising if, if they're not already um, mm-hmm. to, to sort of take care of them as much as we can because, yes, we, we need shift workers. One of the things that I didn't ask about earlier, and it occurs to me, um, it might just be because of my predisposition to assume that everyone listening is is a CrossFitter and therefore working out so much that it's less of a factor. But there are comorbidities with uh, sleep and other uh, diseases, whether it's obesity, whether it's heart disease. What are what are some of the risk factors if a person is not getting enough sleep um, outside of their athletic uh, activity? Yeah. So, and this is a major area of of, of research um, around things like um, diabetes, um, cardiovascular health, um, and both kind of linked to this idea around metabolism. So, we know that there are things that are supposed to happen while you're awake and things that are supposed to happen while you're asleep um, from a metabolic perspective. And when we stretch the time that we're spending awake and decreasing that time spending asleep, less of these uh, these things that we that are important um, happen. The other thing is it gives you more opportunity to eat. 
you're just awake longer. Um, mm, so true. you've got more time to, to consume food. Um, and mm-hmm. when you're tired, you tend to crave more of these foods that will give you a kind of a, a rush or a serotonin hit. And so you tend to crave mm-hmm. more fatty foods um, on, more, on more simple carbohydrates. So um, this area around um, metabolism, which of course has links to um, – um, to cardiovascular disease, diabetes, obesity, these kinds of things, but also um, the the light dark. Um, and again, things are supposed to happen when you're awake, things are supposed to happen when you're asleep. So we have this light dark cycle. Now we've got all this artificial light. So we can mm. work, we'd be a 24 hour um, society. So this, um, this light um, dark aspect um, can also have um, some ramifications um, for our health and particularly mental health. So, you know, you, you, we see, you know, some of these um, northern, the Scandinavian countries where it's dark all winter and, and light all summer. And we know the incidences of, of depression and seasonal affective disorder is higher when it's um, when it's winter and it's predominantly dark. So this light dark aspect um, has important considerations as well. So it's it's kind of you know sleep is the end result of all these societal changes that we've got around being able to work longer um, and um, having more light and having more social media. So um, sleep's just mm. the, the one thing that tends to to be disturbed from all that. Can a can a person get their total? I mean, let, let's let's use the eight to nine hours as a, as a uh, an example of one block that that a person is supposed to get. Um, do they have to get that all in one sitting, or is there a practical way for them to get you know five hours in one sitting, four hours in the next? Is it is it just not possible to get the cumulative uh, a similar cumulative effect as getting it in one un, uninterrupted stretch? Yeah, no, a really good question. And I know it's a good question because there's a lot of research going on this at the moment about split sleep. Um, and there's some evidence that's some, but it's very early days, some evidence that splitting sleep might give you more deep sleep in the second sleep. So sleep four hours, like like what, so for example, when, you know, before we had light, right, what people would do, would, would they'd go to bed when it was dark so it was, say it was dark at five o'clock at night they'd go to bed but and then it was light at seven o'clock in the morning now nobody needs to sleep 14 hours so people would sleep wake up during the night and do things and then go back mm-hmm. to sleep again um and so there is this interest now in in split sleep but i think it is so early days um and the risk that we have is that if is that people aren't sleeping long enough as it is and you kind of need the duration of sleep uh, rather than you know if you could get four and four hours or five and four hours or whatever it might be in in two stints then fantastic but most people are getting around six to seven and um you know our society really isn't built for split sleep um unless maybe you're a shift worker uh so there is it it is emerging area of research um and like we like you do with science you go oh that's interesting and they've got a little bit more deep sleep here but how is this going to work in the real world and you'll have people take it to extremes and be like i know that didn't actually work for me because you know i was going to bed at seven o'clock at night and then i was trying to do my work in the middle of the night and that wasn't working and then my brain was switched on and then i was trying to go back to sleep again so there's lab lab lab-based data and then there's real world you know practicalities yeah hmm. is there is there a minimum amount of sleep or a minimum amount of time that it takes to get into that deep sleep cycle 
Um, no, and that's it's a it's an interesting question because we don't have a lot of information, especially in athletes around um, around sleep architecture. So what it actually looks like, we've got a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a, a small a study um, when I was at the Institute of Sport, and the the we had with them, the cyclists were going through a really hard training block, and we were doing full polysomnography, and they were getting into deep sleep incredibly fast, like under ten minutes. And the and the sleep laboratory, they just kept checking the data, checking the data. They were like, "Is this real? Is this real?" Um, so I think this whole idea of ninety minute cycles, like everyone talks about this ninety minute cycle, I think you know that's very much just a very general guideline. And maybe athletes, because they potentially need more physical recovery, are going to get go into that deeper. They're going to prioritize that deeper phase of sleep. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, 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 shifting gears for a moment, uh, one of the questions that was asked was um, why there would be a difference in uh, a person's ability to fall asleep when comparing two arguably intense levels of physical activity, but in different sports. Mm. So uh, one of the members at, at our gym um, is you know an avid CrossFitter, and if he does a, an intense CrossFit workout, he has no trouble falling asleep a matter of hours later. Yeah. But if he plays hockey at the same time of night for around the same amount of time, probably about an hour, hour and a half on the ice at the mm-hmm. absolute most, mm-hmm. um, he finds he comes home and it's hours before he's actually able to sleep. And he's not really sure he understands why there would be a difference between the two. Is there mm. any mm. logical reason for that that has to do with the the type of activity or the intensity of activity? Or might it be more of a, a, a psychological difference between the two mm. sports and environments? My guess, so providing that the duration and the intensity and the time of the actual exercise was very similar, my guess would it would it would be the competitive aspect of hockey that might um, that might be the difference. So especially when you're in a team environment, we see in professional and this is high level professional athletes that they'll often be thinking about the game they'll think about what they did good what they did bad um so the competitive aspect can sometimes um make Mm -hmm. either the the event more intense or more um or more psychologically demanding as well so you know you you, right in in a team sport you've got to read play you've got to think you you know you've you've got that environment of the other people around you so that could be something to do with it um also you know other things that can affect um you know, different sports might be obviously the time, you know, the time of day, the intensity, maybe people are having caffeine before one and not the other, or you've got your pre-workout drink or whatever um, that can, that can um, obviously influence if you've got muscle soreness. So if they're getting hit um, and you're more of a, you know, you, you, you feel more sore, then that can be um, one of the factors. But um, I think adding a little bit of competition to something can often um be the be a bit of challenge around around sleep especially if if it's in high level athletes played in front of a crowd um you know social media all these kinds of things um but Mm. maybe it's a maybe it's more of a psychological thing right i had one person ask about um anxiety stress around sleep itself Mm. Um, so it's not that they're, they're not that they have anxiety and, and stress during the day so much as um, 
they actually don't feel safe at night. Um, Just uh, whether it's a natural response to um, living alone or whatever the case may be. Are there, I mean, there seems to be an app for everything these days. So I'm just, I'm curious (laughs) if you've heard of some kind of, um, some kind of sleep aid that is specifically intended to allow someone to feel very relaxed as they're going to sleep. Um, is it, is it those, the apps that allow you to do that mindfulness to, to Mm. kind of reset, reset your, your mind before you go to sleep to try to wind down a little bit before you try sleeping? Yeah, I think that's, that's one of the things that you, that I would go to as something to try. Um, the other thing is sometimes we just get, as I was saying before, sleep is a really conditioned thing. It's really associative. So all of a sudden you walk into your bedroom and it goes, oh, that's right. This is going to happen. I'm going to stress about <laughs> sleep. Um, and so sometimes it's like mix your bedroom up, change your curtains, change your bed, move it all around, move into another mm. room if you can, just switch it up so you don't have this association. Um, right. One of the things that I do, especially when I travel or when I'm in a foreign environment, is I always have earplugs and eye mask. It's like I'm in my own little world. I'm away from all the other distractions. Um, right. So so sometimes um, that can help. And then I also think it's it's it could be the fact that this you know the person is overly caught up in in sleep and I know here's me this is my job right to talk to help people understand that sleep's important but to also understand as I've said several times to take some of the pressure away is that it's okay to not sleep perfectly all the time um Mm. and we 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 have bad nights here and there and and um you know it's not the end of the world but I would say setting up your environment either differently switching it up or if you can't do that um earplugs i masks um and, and if this if it's this feeling of 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 safety it's obviously you know if people live alone and they don't feel safe you know whether it's locks on the door or extra security or whatever it may be um but i think yeah it's 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 switching it and you know you could try the relaxation thing and any other thing that we haven't talked about that it sounds like it's a little bit um contradictory is only going to bed when you're sleepy because what happens is people get into bed to try and force themselves to sleep. It's like right. you can't force, and then they stress to sleep. over not being able to do it. Exactly. So stay up mm-hmm. outside in your outside in your lounge room or whatever. You know, watch TV from a distance or whatever you're doing. Um, lights down low. When you think, oh my goodness, I don't think I can stay awake any longer. Straight into bed. No phone. Just straight into bed. Um, and you might end up having slightly shorter sleep duration initially, but then you'll get into this habit of I go to bed and I sleep. I don't go to bed and I sit there and I toss and turn and I think because we all think, oh, I, I need to get I need to get my eight or nine hours. I have to go to bed now. Well, if you're not sleepy, that's not going to help. Right. <laughs> what are, are what's your feeling on some of the natural sleep aids? Uh, melatonin, CBD oil, essential oil diffusers. Are those are those really just a, a you know something that someone can experiment with until they find something that works for them personally? Yeah, I think I mean I'm still a bit of a believer in trying to get um as natural sleep as even these those things are natural, right? But still trying to work on your own strategies for relaxation or behavior so that you don't need to reach for you know 
oils and these kinds of things if you, if you don't need to. Um, but I think, and, you know, it depends on obviously when we're working with athletes, we have to be very careful what they take in terms of, you know, anything even that might have melatonin, you know, of course, CBD, we have to be super careful with, with, yeah, with athletes um, in terms of positive testing. Um, and so, look, some of these, I do prefer something natural like that at, in, in comparison to, say, a sleeping medication. Um, but again, um, we've got to be a little bit careful with some of these because, um, you know, they may they may be effective, but they may have um, some side effects. I mean, for me, um, you know, if you've got a choice between melatonin and reading a book, I'm going to go for reading a book, right? So, um, and but people tend to want to go for the simplest, easiest, quickest thing, and it may not be the best thing. Um, and the example that I often use to athletes is I've been, I'm a reader, I've been a reader my whole life. As soon as I hop into bed and start to read, I can't get through hardly any pages, I'm out. Um, if I, on the weekend, start to read, like lie down on the couch and start to read, even if I'm not tired, my body's like, oh, I know what's supposed to happen. I'm going to sleep. Mm. So you can really use that. Um, use something really simple. Um, find what works for you um, and and really get into that routine. And as I said, the body will start to know what, what happens. And sometimes um, one of the really great, great, I've got two quotes that I, that, that I like. Um, one is never stay up late for something you, that you wouldn't get up early for. So that means – if you would you stay up, would you get up two hours earlier to watch two hours of Netflix? So right. why do we stay up two hours? I'm not picking on Netflix. I love Netflix, but you know why? You're not. I'm not going to stay. Why would you stay up late for two hours if you wouldn't wake up early, two hours in the morning to do it? And and the other thing is, people ask me things like, "Will oh, is this going to work for me?" And it's not not is it going to work for you? Are you going to do the work to make it work? Um, mm. So for example, people want. As this back to this theory of you know people just want the simple easy thing. Uh, it's like it's like exercise, like training. There's no shortcuts. You've got to do the work um, with sleep. You get your you know you teach yourself to do these, have these good habits and good behaviors and good patterns. It may take a little bit of time, but you've got it for life with much less side effects than going to medications or going to to um, to other substances. For sure, and and you know, at least fortunately, um, you know the the CrossFitters out there are used to putting in the work to get the results. So, yeah. <laughs> at least on that side of things, they're more likely to actually listen to that advice and and realize that they actually have to put some time into establishing their sleep routine, establishing the the hygiene um, for proper sleep in order to get the best result. Exactly. I mean, we know how hard people have to work to put on even small amounts of muscle, right? So, you know, yeah. and, we, and we see how, you know, how important sleep is, you know, like muscle strength, you know, sleep is important. It's it, it's not, there's, there's, you don't really need to, we shouldn't be looking for the quick fixes. We should be going for the, the long-term sustainable things, um, consistency, routine, habit, just like CrossFit. You know, doing it as regularly as you can is where you're going to get the results. Mm-hmm. One final question for you before I let you go. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm guilty of this myself more often than not. Um, we've we've kind of touched on it already. Um, phones, laptops, computers, uh, tablets, um, you know, those all emit uh, blue light that um, unnecessarily stimulates the brain. So just how long before going to sleep should we be putting these devices somewhere else? Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. Look, we the, we talk about in the you know in the sleep world about the power down hour, so mm-hmm. shutting down the hour beforehand. Um, and I think in in a group of you know the, your typical listeners, I think you'd be I I think you'd see that, that they would be able to do that. They would go, "Yep, power down hour. I'm going to commit to that. I can do it." The problem we have with some of our very high level elite athletes who are maybe a little bit more connected to social media or things like that often mm. um, don't do that. And so then we sort of save you half an hour an hour. But if you can go for having these devices that are really close to you, close to the eyes, away from you for for about an hour beforehand. So one of the things that I like to do is separate the bed, the lounge room and the bedroom as much as possible. So look, if you're going to use a computer or you're going to, you know, be on your phone, ideally don't do that in the bedroom. When you walk into your bedroom, flip your phone on flight mode and your alarm will still go off and don't lie in bed looking at your phone or lie in bed working on your computer. Um, so if you can stick to stick to that as a foundation and, you know, if you can stay off your phone and, and your computer for about an hour before you're actually going to, going to go to bed, that's, um, that's pretty good, um, a pretty good strategy. Sounds good. All right. So for, uh, for those of you that are listening to the podcast, as you're headed to bed, you've got another hour um, to, you got to power down that that phone, and once we oh, finish yeah. up the podcast, power down and give yourself an hour before you try to get to sleep in order to really achieve your your best possible quality of sleep. That's it, Shona. Thank you so much for for spending some time talking about uh, the endlessly fascinating area of sleep as it pertains to athletic performance and recovery. I really appreciate your time. No, thank you. Thanks. It's great to chat. That's our time for this episode. Time for the AM wrap up. If you weren't already examining sleep's role in your fitness, after my discussion with Shona, I'm sure it's a priority now. It certainly is for me. She shared some invaluable insights into the relationship sleep has with performance and recovery, its effect on your metabolism, and even its relationship with diabetes and other forms of chronic disease. Clearly, taking your training seriously means you have to take your sleep seriously, too. And that's a universal truth, whether you're a professional athlete like those that Shona works with on a regular basis, or the average Joe gym-goer looking to improve your fitness in order to improve your lifestyle outside of the gym. So, by now you must be asking, how in the world did I manage to get a sleep expert from the opposite side of the globe for the podcast? Well, I'm oddly well-connected in this space. In my day job running QB Marketing, I've been lucky enough to do work for one of the largest connected healthcare companies in the world, a company called ResMed. Assuming you've heard of them, it may be because someone in your life suffers from sleep apnea, and ResMed is perhaps best known as one of the world's leading manufacturers of CPAP devices for sleep-disordered breathing and ventilation devices for respiratory care. They're a company that started originally in Sydney, Australia, and continues to operate there, but their North American headquarters is in San Diego, and they have a technology center in Halifax, and I'm a contractor with that team. And that's just the setup. A couple of years ago, ResMed, in partnership with Dr. Oz, yes, the Dr. Oz from TV, and a venture capital firm called Pegasus created a new company called SleepScore Labs. The mission was to leverage all the sleep knowledge that ResMed had acquired from years in the sleep market and bring a new device to market that would help the masses understand and improve their sleep. 
That's the device known as SleepScore Max that we touched on briefly in our discussion. I continued to do a little work for SleepScore Labs and also for ResMed. And so when I wanted to do an episode for the podcast focused on sleep, I shamelessly used my business connections to some of the smartest sleep experts in the world to see if I could bring some of that expertise to the podcast. Uh, hopefully you'll agree, it, it certainly to me doesn't feel like it turned into a commercial. Anyway, so I, I reached out uh, to the decision makers that I knew at SleepScore Labs. They in turn connected me with Shona, who had recently joined the, sleep, the scientific advisory board um, for SleepScore Labs and agreed to share her expertise on the podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider writing a review on iTunes or the new review site, Podchaser. Um, the podcast is unanimously rated five star on both platforms, but I'd love to have more listeners, um, from around the world weigh in and add their voice to the perspective, uh, in the reviews. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already on your favorite podcasting platform so that you automatically receive my next episode when I'm joined by another exciting guest to talk about fitness and health. And you can visit my website at boxjumper.ca and sign up for my emailing list. Um, I'm working on some exclusive content for members of the mailing list, so be sure to get your email added to that list as soon as you can. Thanks for tuning in. More great fitness discussions are on the way. Until next time, get out there and move. Stay healthy. Wad happy and wad often.